In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. About 1970, a new hotel was built on the corner of Tropicana and the Strip. They called it the Marina. It was 700 rooms, a a large uh, resort for that time with a kind of a water theme. It was never really a popular place. Uh, You didn't really hear too much about it. And uh, only 20 years later, the Marina was closed and they were set to demolish it. And those of us in town thought we were going to see something like we saw with the dunes or the landmark where they uh, imploded the building. They didn't do that with the marina, though. They uh, removed all of the walls and all the ductwork and all of the interior of the building, and they left the, uh, the structure, the metal scaffold structure, the bones of the hotel, if you will, all the steel girders, and they began to build the new MGM Grand Hotel around the marina. They actually built onto it. So they started from the marina and they grew it out. So in some ways the marina is still there. It's in the heart of the MGM Grand and this little 700 room uh, resort is now in the middle of this 6,000 plus room uh, mega resort. And this, I think, is an apt analogy for what it is that the Lord is doing for us, how it is that he's built the nation of Israel, and how he uh, adds us onto or connects us to that structure that is still there, which is the household of God. Isaiah is found in the middle of this process of building the household of God, building the kingdom of God. You'll remember that uh, Isaiah is right in the middle of this kingdom's period. So this kingdom's period is between the unified kingdom of Saul, David, and Solomon and uh, leading to the Babylonian exile when finally the kingdoms are totally removed. You remember that during this uh, almost 500 year period, the kingdoms are divided. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and you have the southern kingdom of Judah. Isaiah is a member of the royal household of that southern kingdom of Judah living in Jerusalem. So he is a royal and he is proclaiming the kingdom of God as a prophet. He's a generation maybe after Elisha and a contemporary with Amos and Hosea and others. Uh, So he is proclaiming the kingdom of God and telling the people what it is that they're going to have to do to connect and to live in the kingdom of God. And of course they thought they had everything they needed and that their job was to build wealth and military power. And Isaiah is telling them exactly the opposite, of course. He's telling them that they have to be lowly and contrite of heart, which of course is what everybody wants to hear. Right? It's a very popular message. So popular that they do the same thing with Isaiah that they do with uh, so many others. They kill him for it. Uh, this shouldn't surprise uh, those of us that have talked about repentance. This is the response that people have to repentance when we say, Hey, you know, I think I need to change my life. I need to make it reflect more the kingdom of God and what he's asking me to do. I think I need to give some things up that I've done before. If the person we're talking to is still doing those things, they're likely to get angry and say, What are you saying? That God doesn't love me? That he doesn't want good things for me? Uh, and they become angry with that message of repentance. This is exactly what happens to the prophet Isaiah. He tells them to do exactly what it is that Jesus tells us to do at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says that he will revive the spirit of the lowly, right? Uh, For the meek uh, and and the, the poor in spirit, right? Theirs will be the kingdom of God. So he will give his spirit to, he will revive those who are lowly. Uh, those who mourn, those who are meek, because we're saying that we need God, we need to be revived, we need his power and his grace. And the same thing for the contrite, that is those who have 
heard the message of repentance and they have uh, said, yes, I have to repent. I have to change my life. And they've recognized that call rather than becoming angry or defensive. They've said, you're right. I need to change my life. And this is what uh, Isaiah says is required for us to enter into that kingdom of God. And then we hear the Lord saying, those who don't participate, those who do not receive my peace, uh, will be destroyed, right? They will have destruction. This is exactly what happens with something like the Marina Hotel, right? Those pieces that aren't going to fit into the larger project of the new resort is going to be removed. It's not that uh, the builders were angry, right, with these parts of the marina that didn't fit. They just weren't part of that plan. And so either you're part of the plan for the kingdom of God or you're not, right? Uh, The kingdom of God is going to come. His kingdom is going to be established. The question is whether we're going to participate in it or we're not going to participate in it. And of course, Isaiah uh, gives a clear message for the coming of the Messiah, a clear message for what it is that Jesus was going to do. So now when we read back from knowing who Jesus is and we read those passages in Isaiah, we say, oh yeah, that's what he was talking about. This is the kind of Messiah. And this is the experience that the people are having at the time of Christ. They're saying, oh yeah, that's how we're supposed to read the prophets. Now we have a better understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be doing. Uh, Maybe we had a slightly mistaken understanding. And so they're coming into this deeper knowledge. Clearly they're understanding that Jesus is bringing something radical that they want. These massive crowds are following him. They're pressing in against him, aren't they? And they're seeking these things that he's bringing. They're recognizing that these are Messiah qualities. They're recognizing the the giving of blind, uh, of, of sight to the blind and the restoring of life and all these incredible incredible miracles that he is performing. Uh, but at the heart of that uh, call, at the heart of that work of the Messiah is this message of repentance. You remember that uh, earlier in chapter 6 here of St. Mark's Gospel, what we read last week was the calling of the apostles. You remember he sends the 12 out two by two to uh, do two things, right? He tells them, preach repentance and heal the sick. And so they've come back now in this portion of the gospel and they've said, hey, it's really great. We did exactly what you said that we were supposed to do and it was really wonderful uh, what it was that we were able to accomplish. And But this message of repentance is just this sticky wicket, isn't it? It's this big uh, uh, boulder in the middle of the message that we can't just walk past. Uh, between the sending of the apostles and them returning here and these verses uh, in chapter 6 of St. Mark's Gospel, what we didn't read today was uh, the killing of John the Baptist. And if you remember, John the Baptist is proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's uh, proclaiming uh, what? Repentance. This is the message. He's calling people to repent. And you can see how popular the message of repentance is uh, because what happens to John the Baptist for that message? They kill him for it, right? Just the way that Isaiah was killed for his message of repentance. Just the way Amos was killed for his message of repentance. This is what people do to the prophets. And John the Baptist is no different. So here we have uh, the result, the natural consequence of preaching repentance to the people, which is death. And we have it in the middle of the apostles going out and preaching repentance and them coming back to Jesus. And this is a a foreshadowing, if you will, or a reminder, if you will, uh, that this is the result of this message, that uh, Jesus, too, is going to be killed. Why? For his preaching of repentance, because this is not what the powers that be wanted to hear. 
And so Jesus, as he's preaching this message and as he's performing these great miracles, he meets the nation, uh, the kingdom of God. He meets the people of God in the wilderness. And as soon as we see the people of God away from their homes in the middle of a wilderness with nothing to eat, with God in their midst, we should be reminded of Exodus, right? The Exodus story. Exodus never stopped, right? This this uh, experience of Exodus continues just like the apostles and the prophets never stop. That experience and that message of Isaiah doesn't stop. It's not Isaiah one time in history and then we don't see it again. This is the purpose of the prophets. We see over and over again as, as history, salvation history moves forward in a new and radical way. And here we have salvation history again moving forward in a new and radical way. And here, instead of uh, the people of God and Moses uh, being there as a kind of representative and God's presence being, if you remember, in that pillar of fire or in the cloud, we have God himself dwelling with them. And this is what God intends to do. Here in the wilderness, we have God himself, Jesus Christ the Messiah, standing in the midst of his people. And now he's not only providing food the same way he did the manna in the wilderness, but he's eating with them. He is uh, enjoying fellowship with them. This is Exodus improved. This is Exodus uh, newly made. This is Exodus restored. This is the Lord saying, I'm still leading you out into the wilderness. I'm still having you totally depend upon me. I'm still wanting to provide for you and now I not only want to provide for you but I want to dwell with you and I want to be with you in this kingdom experience and so God now dwells with us and eats with us and what's required for this miracle the first thing that's required for the miracle is that Jesus has compassion upon the people do you see that it doesn't say because the people were doing what they were supposed to do because the people had their lives together because the people prayed the right prayer right there isn't any of this business because the people offered the right sacrifice no none of that why is it that the miracle happens because god has compassion for his people he says he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd and out of god's compassion he desires to dwell with them and then what does jesus do he shows us how we too can participate in the miracles of the kingdom of God. He gives thanks to God for what they already have. This is what we find it so hard to do, isn't it? If we even can get to the place of repentance and a contrite heart where we say, okay, Lord, uh, you're right, I haven't been what I'm supposed to be. I'm not enough. I need to depend upon you. Then to get to the place to thank him for what it is that we have. Oh, we want to jump right to, I've got a laundry list of things I'd like to have, Right? But to give thanks, to have a heart of gratitude, to have thanksgiving, to, to praise God for what he's already given us. This is what Jesus teaches them to do. That first they have to have these arts of gratitude and to give thanks for what has already been given. And out of this compassion of God and this spirit of thanksgiving, this miracle is allowed to happen. The windows of heaven are opened and God dwells with his people and he feeds them. And they become members of the household of God. And this is the miracle that St. Paul is trying to, to show us and teach us in Ephesians. He's saying, look at what God has done with the prophets. Look at the, the house that he built for them. Look at the ways that he built this house. He built it upon the sacrifices in the temple, and he built it upon circumcision. He built it upon these new things, but now he is uh, tearing down those old walls. He's leaving that structure of the kingdom of God, and he's building onto that now this new mega resort that we call the church. 
church, this new uh, greater embodiment of the kingdom of God. And he's saying to do that, he's got to break away some old ways of living, and he's going to establish new ways. What are those new ways? The first thing is, he says that the new sacrifice, the one sacrifice for all of us, is uh, Christ himself upon the cross. And what is the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross? It is a, a cleansing, right? Christ's blood cleanses us. This is a sacrifice of thanksgiving and of cleansing, of washing away sin. And so Christ's blood washes away not only the sins of ancient Israel, not only the sins of those ancient people, the Jews, but he washes away the sins of the whole world. So now Jew and Gentile are joined into this new covenant relationship. And Paul keeps using over and over again these words, body and house, house and body, right? He's saying that we are one body and we are one house. So now Jew and Gentile are joined together in this new house, this new dwelling place, and he's saying that God wants to live with you, dwell with you in this new house, this new tabernacle called the church, the body of Christ. So here's this new place wherein he is dwelling. And sometimes we like to think, oh, that this has already happened, that it's just done, and all we've got to do is go and just live in it. But this is a very dynamic theosis, a deification, a, a, a recreation that God is doing. He has done it, he is doing it, he will do it. And you can see that way that, that Paul talks about this um, over and over again. He is making peace, uh, that we might be reconciled, he says. Um, that we will have access, that we will be built upon. He says, you are being built. You are being built. That is, it's active right now. We are being built together into a dwelling place. That's what God is doing. He's building us into a dwelling place. Just like his tabernacle, just like his temple, just like the body of Christ, just like this community gathered here by the seashore, just like us gathered here at Jesus the Good Shepherd, just like the church around the world, we are being built into a dwelling place. And who is the dwelling place for? For God. He's building a place to tabernacle, to dwell with us. That's His desire. It's always been God's desire. It's always been His plan. It's never been thwarted. His plan has always been to build a place for him to dwell with his people. Just like in the Garden of Eden, he wants to walk and to live with his people. But there's some things that are getting in the way. Things get in the way of us walking with God, responding to his spirit, following his will. It's going to be destroyed one way or the other. God will cleanse all things. He'll make all things new. The question is whether we participate with him and see it as a, a joint act of recreation or whether we experience it as condemnation and destruction. That's up to us. But the old walls are being broken and the new mega resort is being built. Kurt Kerkorian wasn't mad at the marina. It wasn't a bad place. It just wasn't a 6,000 plus room mega resort. Internationally known. 
the new home of God that's being built is bigger, more dynamic than any we could know. He is filling all of creation. All the cosmos is being filled by the Spirit of God. He is making all things His dwelling place. And we are stones in that new tabernacle, that new place of worship for the Spirit of God. May we be restored and rebuilt into His tabernacle this day and forevermore.